Another helping of oysters, clams, and clickers presented by Bolin Media. I am Ross Bolin here today with Mr. Barrett Dudley to digest and discuss episode eight of HBO's The Last of Us. This episode is titled When We Are in Need. And Barrett, before we dive into the details, let me get your overall thoughts on last night's episode as our resident robot who did not cry <laughs> when Bill and Frank chose to die together. Are you saying that you're in need of my thoughts about the episode as well? I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know what? It didn't strike me until right this moment that I, I, I wasn't watching the episode with this word ringing in my head, but I'm now sitting here on the microphone realizing that this was indeed our penultimate episode. It was, sir. And um, it lived up to what I ex- what I have grown to expect from an HBO penultimate drama episode um i thought it was wild wildly thrilling it was uh extremely well executed filmmaking um it it gave me like it gave me vibes of like this one episode could have been a movie yeah like you can add like a before and then like like a basically like 25 to 30 minutes of like a before about like how they get there and about about this cult and about like this, these two different groups of people like kind of like, you know, traipsing through the woods and living in this Colorado town. And then you've got like a little like nightmare A24 Blumhouse psycho thriller on your hands sure. that involves a cannibalistic cult. Like this shit was mad crazy. I think you described it in a group text as a nightmare ride, which it kind of was, but it was awesome. It was my I it was my favorite episode out of the entire series outside of Bill and Frank, I think. Outside of Bill and Frank, like yeah. I just thought it was, you know, and I'm, you know, if, if you're missing out if you if you're not riding with us on Patreon, but we talked on Thursday and and I, we had a caller that like didn't feel bought in to the to the Joel and Ellie of it all, right? And I said I was still in, I was still invested in those two. I'd love to know what that caller thinks right now. I mean, I think because, this is yeah, this is the episode it, uh, that nailed it. Like I felt very rewarded for for stick for saying that I was still buying the two of them as like this like you know duo that had had essentially like invested in the other like their entire well-being and safety and 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 everything else right and so like i i just i i thought it was really really well done um and and just yeah that i i have only positive things to say really i think the best storytelling uh elevates itself right like it it Everybody that was complaining about Ellie being annoying the first two episodes. Well, you have to give her time as a character to grow and for you to fall in love with her, sort of, right? Everybody who was not quite bought into the intensity of Joel and Ellie's relationship. Well, they were building toward this episode so that if you weren't there yet, certainly you're there now. And you're right. This was the penultimate. For those of you who are new here, if you're not a longtime OCC listener, uh, we celebrate 
penultimate magic <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> That's which right. Yeah, penultimate yeah. means the the one before the last one. So it's it's the episode that precedes the finale, and typically. And ever since, really, since uh, Game of Thrones established this pattern, well, we've always and, been on the lookout. I right? mean, and, and and shouts to the the patrons again. But really, who established this was was uh, the Sopranos. Sopranos before Game of Thrones, like even that, yeah, that, that's, long before. That's who really like you know kind of coined this concept of like a lot of the fireworks are actually in episode nine, not ten. Or you know, those a lot of those seasons were longer than ten episodes. But like yeah. basically your second to last one is really where the the big fireworks occur. And then your fu- your your finale is a little bit more of like a wrap up job, like a little like tying the ends together, maybe setting yourself up for a next season. Right. Kind of like just like putting a bow on the whole thing. So yeah, strategically we, we saw that a, a lot. It really like I think, you know, became became expected through the Game of Thrones run. But now it's something that we definitely kind of like look out for because a lot of shows like to play with it. And strategically, it's it's uh, very wise because you have the opportunity to sort of almost include a climax for your current season. And then, like you said, the finale can sure have some powerful moments, too, which I'm quite confident our finale on The Last of Us season one will. But also it gives you more opportunity to set up for your next installment, for your next season. So... Uh, if you hear us throw around the word penultimate, uh, the word penultimate a lot, that's why we do it because we've spent a lot of time watching TV together, and this is something that we've picked up on. That the uh, especially shows that end up being uh, in the category of prestige drama, mm-hmm. they like to they like to utilize this strategy. So um, I'll kind of sprinkle my thoughts in throughout on uh, on what I felt about the episode, but I generally agree with you outside of. I mean, it's funny because the two that are my favorites so far, I think your argument about the, the fact that it could have been a movie mm-hmm. in and of itself with, with a little intro and outro added, right? Right, right. Um, it applies to both of my favorites, both the Bill and Frank episode and yeah. uh, episode eight here, when, are, when We Are in Need. So, all right, let's get into this thing. We open episode eight with some incredibly cold and wintry shots of the surrounding scenery in what we will come to know as Silver Lake, Colorado. While we hear a voice we aren't familiar with, which we will later learn is uh, Pastor David. Pastor David. Pedo Pastor David. Reading Revelation 21, he says, uh, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And... Then we've got this little girl, probably around Ellie's age, who starts crying. And uh, David stops reading, not really to comfort her. At first, you're like, oh, he's going to go over and make the crying little girl feel better. But it's really more to, like, intimidate her, I would say. I actually thought that uh, she had just recently been bitten, and this was like a ritualistic uh, a goodbye <laughs> Christian goodbye <laughs> ceremony, and he was about to off her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, behind him, That's while he's while he's down talking to this little girl, is a big tarp hanging from the ceiling with the words "When we are in need, he shall provide" written on it. And anyway, from the jump, this guy David, he might be presenting as the good dad, as showrunner Craig Mazin puts it in the after the episode. Yeah, but he's incredibly creepy from the get go for me. Underneath it all, and he clearly like this little girl that's crying is afraid of him on some level. Yeah, and I think that there was, you know, I, I thought that that was an interesting insight from Craig Mazin that they are trying to set him up early in the episode. It's like the good dad, basically. Yeah. I, I certainly didn't, I mean, uh, 
look, we had kind of the previews from next week where yeah. I think we could infer that this dude was uh, malicious to some extent. But um, but I didn't really get any sense of like, okay, I'm not sure where this is going with this guy. Maybe it's not going to go extremely south. I didn't really get any of that until like he actually meets Ellie with the deer and then sends the guy away for the medicine and then sits down with her and then obviously like uh, that that whole thing unfolds. But like, yeah, early on here in this very beginning of the episode, it like, yeah, you just you're getting you get cult vibes immediately, immediately, immediate cult vibes. I think it's pretty much impossible in the world that's been built here for us for anyone to start out an episode reading religious texts and not give off cult vibes. Yes, that's it's usually a clue. And I mean, you know, whether that's fair or unfair, like it is what it is. Now, I see what he's saying, um, Craig Mazin, from from the good dad perspective, he they this part, David, cast very well because mm-hmm. He does give you wholesome dad vibes off of his general appearance. It's only when you start to get a little bit deeper into some of his mannerisms and stuff that you recognize, okay, this guy's completely unhinged underneath and completely full of shit and yeah. really manipulating these people with religion, right? Right. Um, but the little girl asks, when can we bury him? And David responds, the ground is too cold to dig. We'll bury your father in the spring, and by bury your father in the spring, Barrett, he means I'll feed him to you in the next couple days. The ground, Ross. It's too cold to dig. Too cold, man. It's too cold to dig. Speaking of the um, Sopranos, there is that one where uh, Gandolfini and, and yeah. uh, Moltisanti, or Soprano and Moltisanti, go and they need to uh, move a body, or actually yeah. I think it's uh, one of the main characters that they're getting rid of. I won't say which one. But the ground is too cold for them to dig, and they have to utilize a bulldozer in one of my favorite scenes from The right, Sopranos, yeah, which Barrett yeah. and I broke down episode by episode on Patreon.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. Uh, speaking of bulldozers and uh, heavy machinery, this is a total aside, but I was just just on my way here. Yeah. I saw one of the trucks that Austin is using to pick up the the trees from the massive ice storm that we had last month. The debris, month. yeah. That shit is nuts. Yeah, it's, nev- it's, I think they built these trucks specifically for this. I've never seen anything like it. It's a little post-apocalyptic, it isn't is. it? It's two like massive, massive, like the biggest fucking eighteen-wheeler trailers you've ever seen, all in black metal. And then in between the two of them is a massive claw crane. Yeah, have you seen this? Yeah, shit? it came through my neighborhood, picked up all the fucking limbs. And there's and a stuff. guy up there riding on the top, and he's basically playing the claw game from an arcade yes. to pick up the 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 massive stacks of tree limbs. <laughs> and it's all black, like it looks like some shit out of Mad Max. It was nuts. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had to talk about that for a second because because post apocalypse. Um, <laughs> let let me. I don't want to bury any leads here, so let me just ask you this. Yeah. Were you getting cannibal vibes early? Not this early. Okay. Um, I'll tell you the point where okay. I was like, right. okay, I, I want to know when you when you yeah. picked up on it because like because I definitely did not. I, it, I, no red flags went up. I was just like, oh yeah, it's too cold to dig. That makes sense. Yeah. No. At this point, I was completely <laughs> amiss as yeah. to what was going on. But they break from their community meeting here, and David asks his right hand man James how many more days worth of food they have left which is when they start to build your your uh, potential cannibal vibes a little bit, but still, I was in the dark. Um, James responds, maybe a week, two at best, and that's if they keep, they keep the whole town on rations. Uh, he also says, Josiah and Martin. I love that they've got a guy named Josiah. You need a Josiah in your religious cult. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they think they spotted some deer the other night a couple miles east, but it was dark, 
and you see what you want to see sometimes. By the way, James, would just say up front, is played by Troy Baker, who is one of the gentlemen they've been including in the After the Episode interviews all season long, but he voiced Joel in the video game, which is just really cool that they included him in this way, but also ironic. Obviously, Ellie ends up killing this man, which is just kind of funny. The yeah. Ellie in the TV show I, kills the knew, Joel from the video game. I knew I recognized this guy um, because, and, and, and I think when we learned about Marlene, and then somebody from the cast of the video game died recently as well. I, I think oh, the, the, voice woman, the voice of Tess, Tess from yes, the video game passed, passed away. Yeah. So I had been looking into the cast, and so I had definitely come across this Troy Baker guy. Uh, he is... It, they certainly don't pretty him up for this role. No, they made these guys look like shit. And he's kind of tall. He's much taller and like lankier he's than gaunt. I realized. He's very gaunt. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah he's, real, he's real Skeletor type. So I think that threw me off because like when I'd seen him in like photos and, and press stuff from from the video game, he looks like a little shorter and a little more filled out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he's he's uh, that. So it, I I didn't place that. Then they said it after the episode, and I was like, oh yeah, duh, that's where I recognize. Yeah, it was it was one of the things I thought they did a really good job with here. David and James, and really the whole crew that they roll out to try to find Ellie mm-hmm. and Joel with. These guys look like they've been through some shit. Yeah. I mean, they do not look good. The winterization of their faces as well. Mm-hmm. Like they've got, you know how when you're out in the cold for too long, your your nose kind of reddens and you're, yeah, right on the on the base. Yeah, yeah and you yeah, get wind. Yeah. Uh, yep. What's that called? Where the wind burns you? Yeah, windburn. Windburn. Um, they've got all that going on. The makeup department crushed it for, especially for these uh, bad guys, as Been it out were. They're in the elements, Ross. Oh yeah. Where it's too cold to dig. It's too cold to dig. <laughs> David and James get their guns to go hunting for these potentially imagined deer. Um, Speaking of uh, then Ellie, she and Joel are still down in that basement, and they are also running out of food to the point that Ellie, like, she takes out this little snack, and she's like, I mean, really scarfing this shit down, like, to the point, it seems like she's starving, yeah. and then she breaks off, like, a little piece, and, like, you can tell she's thinking about it, she's like, does he even need this? Like, yeah. he's, he's just gonna die, What should I even waste any yeah. food on him? But she, like, leaves a little piece on him there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then she gets Tommy's rifle. Slow nibble. To go hunt for some food. <laughs> and first she spots a rabbit and gives chase, but she trips and lands on her face. Sad. And uh, then next she hears distant clicking, if you had on the subtitles. And this was confusing for a lot of people who watch with subtitles. It's one of the downsides of subtitles, I would say, because people were like, oh, there's clickers out here in these woods, too. No, there weren't clickers out here in the woods. It's just, just a deer, man. But it, uh, it said right. clicking what, continues uh, oh, as well. What are y'all doing watching subtitles in this show? This is like one show that I do not need. I no have no desire for, for subtitles. I think it's typically for added detail. Like the thing I notice with shows like this where the accents don't require you to have subtitles is that you get these little background conversations right. that you otherwise probably would have missed. Yeah. Um, for my purposes, it's because I'm a professional. That's the only reason I do it with <laughs> subtitles. For the rest of you, you're all you're all addicts. You've all got you've got a serious addiction to subtitles. You've got a problem and you need help. Um, but yeah, she comes across this deer which people thought was going to be like an abdominal snow clicker or something. Just a deer, sets her rifle just like Joel taught her. She breathes out, squeezes the trigger, hits the deer, but does not immediately down it, right? So the next thing we see is the dead deer. It has bled out, and of course it's David and James who have found it first. So Ellie approaches them, tells them to put their rifles down. Uh, David tells her they're from a larger group with women and children, and they're all very hungry. Ellie says she's from a large group too, also hungry. David tells her they're willing to trade for some of the deer. Ellie asks for medicine, uh, quote, 
like for infections. Got to fight that sepsis, Barrett. And David sends James to go get two bottles of penicillin and a syringe. So while James goes on that four-mile round trip, Ellie and David get a fire going and they start chatting. Ellie keeps her gun on him the entire time. But to your point earlier... This is where I was like, well, maybe David's not such a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, he, he very clearly, like, he even tells James when, when he's like, go get two bottles of penicillin and a syringe. And James is kind of looking at him like, I don't understand the code like, you're laying right, down on right. me right now. He's like, it's not a code, dickhead. <laughs> Just go get the things. Um, but he didn't seem to be taking the opportunity to, you know, overpower this little girl and murder her. Yeah. He was like kind of giving her a chance, which we all now know is him setting up. To, he's basically grooming her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I was like, maybe he's not so bad. So, yeah, David invites Ellie to what she calls his hunger club and declares himself a decent man just trying to take care of people who rely on him. And Ellie says, is this some weird cult thing? And he says, you sort of got me there. <laughs> I'm a preacher, but it's pretty standard Bible stuff. And she says, the whole world ended and you still believe that shit? And David explains that he started believing after the world ended, when the Pittsburgh QZ fell, Fireflies and Fedra. He left with a few others, and as he puts it, that's how he ended up with this flock of his. He sees himself as a shepherd. These are often terms used in church, if you've never been. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, yeah, David explains that everything, he believes everything happens for a reason. And when he launches into this little story, I was like, uh-oh. Because I had already kind of started to think, these people are really close by. Yeah. Maybe this is the group that Ellie and Joel encountered that got Joel injured. Like, it was sort of entering the back of my mind. And when he starts this little story about how he sent four of his people to a nearby town to scavenge what they could, and only three of them came back, and the one who didn't was a father, I was like, fuck. And he says, turns out he was murdered by this crazy man. And get this, that crazy man was traveling with a little girl. And that's when James sneaks up behind them and he has his pistol pointed at Ellie. And I was like, oh, God, everything's going to go to shit right here. But he tells James to lower his weapon. Yeah. Flipping me back to like, maybe he's not such a bad guy. And uh, throws her the medicine. Ellie grabs the medicine. David says, I know you're not with a group. You won't survive for long out there. I can protect you. And she just runs off. Right. And James is like, you're just going to let her get away? Real miscalculation to um, give her real penicillin, by the way. You know, what? why don't you just give her poison if you think she's going to inject some dude with it? That That's a good want, question. That you want dead. Yeah, because right? he was kind of playing along with her. Like, I get, like, I get. you know, it, in, in these types of situations, I, they think they've got it all figured out and down pat. Like, sure. this is two people. One of them is clearly injured. We got a lot. Of, we got more guys, more guns. We're going to track them down. It's like, and, and I think you make a good point that, that this is all he's trying already early here to like buy some trust yes from her you know he wants to turn this into a situation that uh benefits him in the way that he would like yeah he's struggling to pull that off with ellie because she very much has her guard up right um the part of it that i thought was interesting is he seems so confident like when they get back to town and he's like you know fresh snow it'll be easy to track her or whatever like, that must have been what was in the back of his head, I guess. Like, oh, we'll just let her leave. It doesn't matter. We'll be able to find her really right. easily. And in my head, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Feels like it would be hard as shit, man. It's right. so windy out there. Like, how are you going to keep up with where she went? It's not like she's bleeding and there's going to mm-hmm. be a trail to follow, but whatever. So Ellie heads back to Joel with the penicillin and the syringe. 
Joel's still mostly unconscious, and Ellie has no idea where to stick the needle, but ends up going right through his wound, which is, I guess, what I would have done. Like, I started thinking about this, and it was like, it made me realize how little I know about antibiotics and, and medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know why I keep pronouncing antibiotics that way. Antibi- antibiotics. 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 <laughs> Give me some of them antibiotics. This is two episodes in a row. I don't know why I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, Ellie cuddles up with Joel after she injects him, and... This it's like kind of the beginning of this building of this emotional bond, in, at least in this ap- episode by itself. Like she, he leans his head slightly into her to mm-hmm. like cuddle a little bit while they uh, while they sleep. So Barrett, what did you think of the introduction to David and what was going on here in the first third of the episode? The um, the antibiotics. Yeah, that, that's how you keep bees away. Oh, that's, that you're that's, right. That's, that's you, why that's I'm getting what, confused. That's what you take to keep the bees away. The that's anti- what beekeepers utilize. Right. Yeah, antibiotics. Anti. An- now I can't <laughs> say it. The antibiotics. That's what you. That keeps the 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 bios the bacteria away. You're right. Away. You're right. right. You know. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the difference there. I remember college. Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, the, the, uh, my only, I mean, mate, right, kind of like what we're saying here. Sorry, I'm stumbling over, over this thought here, but this is really the only part that I bumped on is kind of like, what this is, this seems like a dangerous game that, that they're playing to just let her leave if they want something, if they really want to go get Joel and if they really want to capture her and bring her into the fold, then letting her walk here seems like a, a real gambit, if you will. Right, giving her the actual medicine, kind of a dice roll, but uh, but yeah, yeah, these guys are uh, they're sick, man. They're just they're real sick. sickos, dude. Real I'm, sickos. I'm guessing the uh, the other reason we're supposed to kind of buy into why they let her leave is like they get the full deer, the whole deer, right? She's gone, yeah, her yeah. gun is gone, the danger is gone. They can take this whole deer back to their starving that, squad. A, right, that's a good point. But we'll we'll put a pin in that. We'll touch on it later. Yeah. Um, the other thing. Yeah, with the with the penicillin, she injects it. We watch her inject a couple of times. Right, didn't look like it was working to me. Yeah, did 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 you get the sense that it was working? I did. Um, because like the second qu- time they showed like, it, it looked like even more bigger and like more bruised. And oh, really? Still super gnarly. And I, I was thought like, it looked like it was healing pretty nicely. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I, I just read the you know the makeup wrong. Then, yeah, basically, because I was like, mm, I don't know if this shit's taken, man. Well, because my question was like, how do you know how much to give him? Right. Is right. there a too much? Can yeah, you poison yeah. somebody by giving them too much penicillin? How will she know when to give the next dose? Like, mm-hmm. it seemed like she was going to have to have quite a bit of luck on top of just acquiring this medicine right. to get it to actually help him. Yeah. That part I was in on. Like I was like, ooh, I don't know. Obviously we find out it must have helped to some degree. I think it was working. Yeah. Oh, it was working, baby. As far as my thoughts on the first third, uh, did not I was not bought into like a post apocalyptic preacher being a good guy trope. That was pretty easy to to see things were gonna yeah. go poorly, especially yeah. with the information we were already working with. Um, again, pretty cool that they got Troy Baker involved in the show who mentioned in the after the episode that he was super stoked to get like a pretty hardcore speaking role because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they told him like, hey, we're going to we'll plug you in, man. We've got you. You can't be Joel. <laughs> you can't be Joel, but you can be somebody. Uh, he thought they were just going to make him a clicker. Right. And uh, no, it turned out being It's been kind of interesting James. to watch watch the, you know, the guys and, and girls that were included from the video game. Yeah. And like basically just like how grateful and excited they seem to be included yeah instead of like a little bit you know chip on their shoulder that like they had to go get like you know the the, the beautiful hollywood types to play the actual roles it just I, their grasp that 
it was like never really even an option for them to be considered for the roles that they had outside of Marlene. Sure. Right. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I, I, it's interesting to me. It is. It definitely um, is. It's a strange dynamic. You know, I want in like, I wonder like Troy Baker, I, he's just like, he's, he's out there like, uh, like Ron Howard's brothers. Like, yeah, <laughs> not as good looking, not as smart. No, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, I, like, he's dude, just like, he knows his role. He's a video game guy. He's a voice actor. He's yeah. that type of stuff. He's not like, Look, he's not he's not auditioning for the same things that, that Pedro is. Yeah, but it's feel like you were a backup quarterback in, in the NFL that had been starting and then they're like, Listen, man, we yeah, uh, right. we traded for Patrick Mahomes, you would be like, Oh, I'm on the bench now. Yeah. Right? Like the, I don't think the conversation was that hard. Craig Mason's like, Listen, Troy, we got Pedro <laughs> Pascal and he was like, Oh, so I'll be a clicker. You know what I mean? Like yeah. yeah, it couldn't have been that hard. Today's episode is brought to you by our listeners supporting this show on patreon.com slash oysters clams cockles in exchange for exclusive bonus ad-free episodes further discussing every show we cover. Right now, obviously, each week we have been further digesting and discussing each episode of The Last of Us with voicemails from our Bloater Brigade tier. If you want to be able to call into the hotline, you join the Bloater Brigade and also gain access to full video of each Patreon episode as well as our Discord server. If you'd prefer to just listen to our bonus coverage, you join the Clicker Click. And when you join patreon.com slash oystersclamscockles to support our show, you'll immediately gain access to all of our ad-free bonus episodes episodes covering House of the Dragon Season 1, The White Lotus Season 2, and, as referenced multiple times already in this podcast, an ad-free companion podcast for every episode of HBO's classic crime drama, The Sopranos. Friendly to first-timers and repeat watchers alike, Barrett was a first-timer. I am a noted repeat watcher. We had a blast making our companion podcast for The Sopranos together, plus... If you've been riding with us throughout the course of The Last of Us and enjoyed yourself on Patreon, succession coverage starts uh, March 26th, I believe, is the first episode. That week, we will be on Patreon taking hotline calls to further digest and discuss Succession's final season, season four. You get all of that when you support OCC by subscribing today on patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. Thank you so much to the over 1,300 of you already there. You are the reason we are able to keep doing this show consistently. Even when sponsorships are harder to come by, it means a lot. Go to patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash oysters, clams, cockles today to support us and get even more OCC ad-free. Also, go to bowlandmedia.com slash shop to get yourself some OCC merch. So back in David's camp, we see a group doing the cooking for the rest of the community, and this is when immediately they show people cooking, and these people, again, they look haggard, they look gaunt, they do not look like they're doing well nutritionally. (laughs) I was like, oh shit, they're eating people. And like, I didn't need to see the moment when everyone should have realized is when David and James bring the deer in. Like, I didn't even have to get to that because of the way that one lady, obviously, she asks, what is it? And the dude, like, does a slight pause, and he's like, venison. venison. And you're like, nah, it's, they're making people stew. They're, yeah. they're going to feed that little girl her own dad. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm just not that quick on the uptake here. Haven't watched enough cannibal movies, I guess. Yeah, you, you just don't know enough about cannibalism, bro. Right, you right. don't You don't have the vibes down pat. You, you I mean, you have obviously consumed, like, f- a f- a far greater amount of like dark content than I have, you know. Sure, um, I thought you were going to say I've consumed more people more than people. you. Have. I was like, whoa, hold on, that's a heavy accusation. <laughs> Probably a toss up on that one. I've just had a pinky um, toe one time. <laughs> so, look, I, I like it, and I feel like an idiot in hindsight because stuff was flagging for me. Like I was, but I, I rewound because I was trying to like count the cans of tomato. 
Because <laughs> she's like, we got five left. And he like slides one over. And I was like, oh, they're skimming. They're skimming tomato sauce. Uh, <laughs> you, thought the, you thought the vibes were that they were stealing yeah, the food? Ste- yeah, there was, a, you okay. know, there, was, there was a dark cabal within yeah, yeah. the cult that was, that was skimming food for themselves. <laughs> Uh, and then that meat comes through and they're like, what is it? And they're like, venison. I'm like, oh, this must be the, this must be the last deer that they were just talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But there is, the vibes are all off. And then when, when the food is served, we see that we see the meat in the cubes there and they, they make a show of like plopping it into the soup, right? Yeah. And then when it gets delivered to everybody, it's looking real red and real bloody and real gross. David's plate in particular, I was like, did they even cook that at all? And so I started, I was like. I, you know, I was doing the the squint, <laughs> squinty eyes Futurama guy yeah, um, yeah, yeah. meme at that point, but I I still wasn't I, it just wasn't like clicking for me <laughs> totally yet. I had not I just could not make the connection. Um, so, but yeah, this is probably where if you were watching closely and just like on your toes for for any sort of up to no goodness, this yeah. is probably where you were like, oh, yep. Okay, well, with what you know in hindsight, do you feel like? The people of the community knew they were eating people. Um, it feels like some may have had an inkling. Well, I guess he right? tells us later, hey, he, only he, a few people only know. Only a few people know. But but when they're yeah, you, know, you mentioned the way that the people look in the kitchen. When they kind of scan the room and everybody's yeah. eating and everybody everybody looks kind of that that way. And they're, they're, there's some side eye being given, right? right. Like they're looking over and like scraping their plates in a real in a very cannibalistic movies type of way. Yeah. And they seem just kind of like they're like resigned to it, pissed about it, but almost kind of accepting about it. And what isn't like the old like the the thing with cannibalism always is like you can't get a taste, right? Cuz then you want more. And doesn't it kind of drive you nuts? Like that, make yes. you crazy may, too? I think it kind of makes you insane. Fucks with yeah, your head. Yeah. I mean, this, outside of just the obvious, like uh, the mental side of it. I mean, like, isn't there some kind of a physical I reaction that to that eating is, people? I, that's at the very least like m- movie mythology about it is that right. it like makes you crazy, makes you want more, kind of turns you into a real, real freak, Ross. Yeah, a real freak show, man. <laughs> now, when I rewatched this morning to do our outline is when I picked up on like, I know David says there are only a few people here who know, which we'll get mm-hmm. to, but- it's what I picked up on just the the whole room, like you said. It's the vibe to me is that the adults, at least, and maybe even some of the kids, are aware. Because you would put the pieces together if you were in this community, like, well, we haven't gotten any more deer, and people have died. We were running out of food, and no one said anything about when we got more. Like, yeah. where is this coming from? You know what I mean? I just got the feeling that it was probably a little more. Uh, overtly understood mm-hmm. that they were committing cannibalism than David was maybe smart enough to pick up on or willing to accept or a combination of the two. But yeah, let's gross. Let, while we're on the cannibalism, let, let's let's continue the thread because I've got a couple other questions for you. Yeah, can we can let you can I just touch on them now? Yeah. All right. We're about to see Ellie get knocked off the horse, which is dead, and then later when when Joel is walking through the the, the butcher shop and and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I felt like the horse is kind of like thrown off to the side, like they're not going to do anything with the horse. And then we see the um, the the awful sight of like skinned and decapitated bodies ready for the uh, ready for the what what do they call it when you when people stew when <laughs> when you clean it like I get ready for the cleaning. Right? I think these had already been cleaned because they were like wrapped. Yeah. They're just okay. thawing up there or whatever, yeah. or frozen yeah. to be eaten later. Um, 
what is it called when you do that to a deer? When you dress, dress. When you That's feel when you dress, dress a deer. deer. Feel dress a deer. Anyways, uh, so my question there was like, do we think now that they have just turned like like they're not even going to eat the deer or the horse? Like they're no, just I, they're eating humans now. That's what they do. My impression was that. The eating the humans was the last resort. That David is not lying to Ellie when he's like, "You don't think I'm ashamed of this? Like, you think I want this?" Basically, uh, I I think it was the only way for him to continue feeding all of these people is to utilize the dead to do so. I was under the impression that that horse was dragged into that same area because they were going to chop that they fucker just up. Hadn't gotten to it. Yet. Yeah, the reason they okay. brought it back at all was for food. Um, cause otherwise what are they going to do with a dead horse? Yeah. They could have just left that shit out there, but yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering if you got any of the vibes that they had just like moved on to, moved into eating. People you know what? People are better. <laughs> Let's just keep eating people. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, right. they, they were right. going to eat the horse. Okay. Um, so David and James come in with the deer and he immediately senses that the community is upset with him for not taking out the people responsible for Hannah's father's death, which I was confused about this, like how they got that Intel. Cause he just got back. And James is with him. So who could have possibly told them, like, hey, they, we found the little girl and, and we let her go. I think the implication is that James reported what was going on when oh, he went, when back he for, went the for the penicillin. Good call. Good yep. call. So David announces that tomorrow he'll lead a group to pick up the little girl's trail and bring that man to justice. And Hannah, the one who lost her dad, proclaims, you should kill him. You should kill both of them. And David walks over, and I thought he was going to, like, kiss her on the head and be like, that's right. We should kill both of them. But he backhands the shit out of her Mm -hmm. and then offers his hand to help her up, which is just, like, classic creepy grooming shit, and then tells Hannah that he knows she... uh, she thinks she doesn't have a father anymore, but the truth is, Hannah, you will always have a father, and you will show him respect when he is speaking. <laughs> Fucking psycho. Then David yeah. leads a prayer over his plate of people, and uh, at this point, you should really be putting together that David is maybe not such a good guy. Um, but yeah, watching that little girl eat her dad wasn't pl- how I planned on uh-huh. like spending Sunday yeah. night. You know, This episode was uh, extremely intense. It was. You what? touched on the plate scraping. Yeah. And this was a thing that, that really like haunted me. Like the frantic speed at yep. which everyone eats makes it even more eerie that you like you know at this point, like, oh you're you're watching I mean you you've got some idea that you're something figuring is amiss. It out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, at the very least. If if you're rewatching, you know you're watching them eat people and it is just it is not pleasant. No. It was it was very dark. So back in the basement the next morning, Ellie gives Joel another dose of penicillin. Then she heads outside, gets some snow for the horse she parked in the garage, um, and she notices like some birds cawing and taking off nearby, which alerts her to the presence of David and his crew. She runs back inside. She arms Joel with a knife because she can't really get him to wake up still. And she's like, look, there are men coming. I'm going to try to lead them away from here. But if anybody makes it down here, you need to fucking kill them. And she... Goes back upstairs, moves the big armoire in front of the door to the basement, closes the garage, and rides off on her horse to try and lead these dudes away, which just, like, I immediately had a feeling that wasn't going to go well. Like, my wife even said, like, please have a plan, because it just didn't really seem like she did. Yep. Um, And her plan was to yell out, hey, motherfuckers, (laughs) and, like, scatter some shots around David and, and the doofuses he brought. And uh, then she rides off, and David proclaims again that he wants her alive, which at this point really started to scare me. I was like, oh, God, why does he want her alive? 
because everyone else we've encountered in this world, everyone else would have been like, fuck it, kill her at this, at this point. Right. Um, James sneaks around the side of a tree. He ends up shooting Ellie's horse, which I, again, felt like I saw coming and it was extremely upsetting to see. Yeah. I hate seeing the horses go down. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing my horsey shirt today to honor Ellie's horse, Barrett. And it's got angel wings too. (laughs) (laughs) But Ellie, Ellie gets knocked out cold, um, from, I didn't really... Look, the realism of this show is one of the things that makes it so much fun to watch because you feel like you can tell the weight of circumstance and 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 uh, certain mm-hmm. situations that people are in. And when she flies off the horse, I was just like, oh, she'll just get up and keep running. But like that would never happen in real life. This is what would happen. You would yeah. be fucking out cold, <laughs> clinging to consciousness yeah. at the very least. So David picks her up to carry her back to their camp, and he orders two guys to come with him and drag the dead horse so that they can eat that too. Tells the rest of the guys to go door to door searching for Joel. He says, "You're so hungry for vengeance, deliver it." So Joel has three guys looking for him door to door, and immediately we have to watch one of these dudes wander straight into Joel's house, move the armoire. Didn't take him long. No guy no. really had a nose for this. Yeah, and he finds Joel's former resting place, the mattress, which of course he has already moved on from, but it's like blood stained. You could see it was there. And Joel pops up out of nowhere and stabs this dude in the neck. Let's fucking go, Joel. I I was seriously, like, before this scene, I didn't know if we would ever see him get up again. I, I'm I'm right there with you. That that that's what I was saying. Like we we see the injections a couple times, but it's like who knows what this shit is? If she's doing it right, if it's actually working, is it taking? When she leaves him with that knife, he still seems so so out. Yeah, that I was I, I it was definitely again a possibility in my mind, just like it was when we left him with the gut wound in the first place on the side of the road. I was like I I just I, I I've got a bad feeling about where all of this goes for Joel in yeah. general. I just do. And so I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I, I might be wrong, but I, I kind of have this expectation that it's coming. I'm, I'm certainly kind of teed up for the worst. Right. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm with you. I did not know if we would, if, if, if he was going to get through this. Um, and, and even when he is able to like, you know, army, army, army stab this guy yeah. straight through the back of the throat so he can't scream. Yeah. And, and draw noise and make any attention. This was like some real like Vietnam War shit. It really right? was. Yeah, it was very intense. Uh, blood gurgling, coming out the mouth, spewing, the whole the whole kitten caboodle. That dude made an insane <laughs> face when he died. Like he died with the craziest possible look on his face, like almost um, smiling like, yeah. So, it was uh, and even then I was like, oh man, well, that, that's all he had in him. He just had that one in him. Yeah, my guess when she puts the knife on him and he's like barely able to open his eyes at all was that somebody would come down, find him, and like be about to stab him when Joel would like be able to stab that one person. And like maybe he would get one of the three down before they murdered him. Yeah. When he wasn't in the bed, when the guy turned the corner to go down the stairs, I was like, yes, (laughs) thank God. I was really amped to see him up and moving around. But to your point, even when he got this one guy, he's laying on the ground next to him. And I was like, I'm not sure he's going to be able to get up from that spot now. So we'll see what happens. One down, two to go. Um we flash from that kill straight to David's camp, where Ellie has been placed in a cage, also not a great sign, and David starts attempting to manipulate her and further groom her into this group. He ends up telling her, if you can't find a way to trust me, then yes, you are alone. Walks out, we flash back to Joel, um, he's 
knocked another one of these pursuers onto the ground outside one of the houses, and this guy turns the corner and sees that guy, goes over to try to help him. Joel hits him with the butt of his gun, and then we are in the room he has these two dudes tied up in, and their names are Timothy and Marco. And Joel starts working Timothy over. He plants a knife in his knee, tells him if he doesn't get the information he wants, he's going to pop his fucking kneecap off. Yeah. Just This is when you're supposed to be brought back to all those scenes discussing the horrors that Joel committed. Yeah. Right? When he was the head of that group, and it was him and Tommy and Tess, and they were off doing bad shit and murdering people. Um, this guy's got some serious experience interrogating people, some serious experience torturing people to some degree, depending on how you want to look at it. But yeah, he's going off on this guy. He sticks the knife, you know, the handle of the knife into Timothy's mouth and tells him to point at the spot on the map where they are and then where the resort is, the Silver Lake Resort. And he does the same thing he did with the, uh, the uh, cute uh, portly couple that we ran into a couple episodes ago where he's like, and you better give me the same fucking spot that your buddy does, which led me to believe that his buddy might have a chance here. (laughs) And I was wrong um, because uh, the dude obliges and Joel stabs him through the heart anyway and kills him. And the other guy, Marco, is like, why the fuck did you do that? He did what you wanted. He says, you motherfucker, fuck you. I ain't telling you shit. And I was like, that's a mistake. And Joel has the coldest line. He goes, it's okay. I believe him, and then just cracks this dude in the head with a pipe. Um, Barrett, what did you think of seeing Joel at his yeah, most brutal here? Um, look, th- this show is really starting to toy with some stuff here uh, in this episode because these. Like, look, one of the things that I think you you you're kind of supposed to pick up on early is how this group is so upset about the guy that they lost, yes. right? The dad that they lost. But we saw what happened. He just attacks Joel out of nowhere. Yeah, like they're not going to let Joel and Ellie just go. They're not just, you know, ships in the night. Right. Ships crossing it, passing in the With night. Self-defense. Like, like they, they are out there. They are raiders themselves. They are looking for shit to to steal or kill or do whatever with. And, like, it is kill or be killed out here. Uh, you know, when when you do cross paths with somebody that has that is well-intentioned and isn't completely out for themselves and in full-on survival mode that's extremely extremely rare yeah right so it's like we're watching them like defend this guy even though we saw him about to murder joel and ellie in cold blood as well right so it's like they're all out here fighting for vengeance like these dudes are gonna tear joel apart right so we watch joel do the army kill torture this this baddie and then deliver an awesome line and kill the third one in which we're just like we're like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, sure. Go, Joel, go, Joel. But then, like, we get to this conversation with the violent, about the violent heart, right? Yes. And so, and then, obviously, we're going to get to the the kind of climax of the episode, but they're definitely saying something here with, with about survival, about the, the, the violence and what it does to you, and whether or not it's, like, m- maybe it's the only thing that is, that allows people to survive in a world where like society has basically been been taken away. You hit you, so it's it's you know it's it's tough because we're watching Joel and Ellie who are definitely our protagonists and we are invested in their relationship and we like them and we cheer for them but are they turning into the basically the same as as David and his cult crew. You used a word that really makes it kind of click for me. Um you said raiders and I think at this point, it's safe to surmise that raiders are anybody that's anybody not else. your crew. Yeah, yeah, right? totally. Like, yep. Everybody sees everybody else as raiders. Yep. And it's kind of like when you think about war, right? International war on a, on a 
bigger scale, when you learn about history in school and whatnot, and uh, particularly, like, I remember learning about certain elements of history from the American perspective as a younger person, and then when I get older and learn some of the, the other implications and, and international perspective on those wars, it's different. Because the bad guy is never you. Right. Everybody thinks the other side is the bad guy, and it's like in a post-apocalyptic world, that sort of uh, perspective gets put on everyone, where everybody that's not you is dangerous. Because what does David say? He says, this little girl lost her dad. He was killed by a crazy man. Mm -hmm. A crazy man? You fucking attacked him. He defended himself. (laughs) What was crazy about what he did? Right. Um, But that's everybody sort of has that angle in this place. It's like, you know, and, and to your point, yes, we watched, we've heard all this stuff about Joel and how brutal and bad and evil almost he could be, right? When he was doing whatever he was doing before, or between 2003 and 2023 when we pick up with him. And this is when we're starting to see it. Like, if they were doing shit like this fairly often, I don't know that there's coming, you can come back from that. Once you've committed a certain amount of brutality or atrocity, regardless of circumstance, it does something to you as a person. Yeah. And that's what we end up sitting with at the end of this episode, which we can talk about in a little bit. But yeah, if you're like me and you have trouble relaxing or getting to sleep, especially when you're stressing after watching an emotionally scarring <laughs> episode of The Last of Us, then Cured Nutrition is here to help. Today's episode is brought to you by Cured Nutrition. When the world feels crazy and chaotic, remember that you don't have to. You deserve to take control of your mental and physical health. Cured Nutrition is trying to make it easier for you to do exactly that. Formulated with their trinity of ingredients, a blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, functional mushrooms, and adaptogens, Serenity Gummies are your answer to finding the calm in every storm. Cured wants you to feel good about feeling good, so they took their time formulating their Serenity Gummies. They left out the artificial flavors, sugars, and dyes and replaced them with ingredients that actually live up to Cured's clean label, wellnessy word. I've been taking their Serenity Gummies after work. They're phenomenal. They provide me with the calm and relaxation I need while keeping me productive and sharp. And also for those of you who have trouble getting to sleep, their nightcap capsules are phenomenal. I've been taking those as well, sometimes with one of their Zen capsules. Sleeping like a baby, which is huge because I've got a newborn in the house, and when I get sleep, I need it to be good sleep. Highly, highly recommend both the Serenity Gummies, Nightcaps, and the Zen Capsules as well. Right now, Cured is extending an offer to the Clam Fam. It's exclusive. You grab a bag of Serenity Gummies for 20% off by visiting curednutrition.com slash dragon using coupon code dragon at checkout. That's C-U-R-E-D curednutrition.com slash dragon coupon code dragon and check out uh, with that code to save 20% protect your peace Papa Gummy so back in her cage David brings Ellie some food but before she can take it thankfully I guess she notices a human ear on the ground and freaks out and at this point you sh- did that, you put it together? Where, yeah, you were yeah, like, yeah. oh, they're eating people. Yeah, yeah. the ear, I, yeah. Yeah. That's da- when I got it. <laughs> David says, they put that one more thing in there just in case yes, you weren't all the way there. Just you're yeah. dumb-dumb yeah. like me and you're 45 minutes in, you like, just still have not totally registered. They're skimming you. tomatoes off the top. <laughs> so David says, for what it's worth, this is just deer meat, I swear. And Ellie's like, you're going to chop me up into little pieces. He says, I'd rather not. David says there are only a few people here who know that they're eating human beings and starts trying to justify his actions, goes back into his grooming bag, trying to basically court Ellie. It gets really, really, like, sexual almost. Like oh, he, yeah. He's basically like, you could be my queen. Yeah. We could rule together. You're yeah, a natural of, leader, smart, the, the, loyal. The, and, and the, you know, it's just on that steady incline where at first he's like, 
you're you're you know again you're like doing the squint squint eyes yeah like hmm what's this guy doing uh, and he's like you're a leader you're a natural they can, and then he starts talking about like us and they, they can yeah. follow us and you're like uh, no think no. about what we could build think about what we could yeah. build it just yeah. keeps getting like he keeps he keeps stepping up and up and up it's and like so, she's 14 man yeah what the fuck's yeah. wrong with it's you it's not good he says she's a natural leader smart loyal violent he says you have a violent heart and i should know I've always had a violent heart, and I struggled with it for a long time. But then the world ended, and I was shown the truth. And Ellie says, by God, and he says, no, by cordyceps. And he launches into this thing about how cordyceps, you know, takes care of its own and with violence if it has to and yada yada. But, like, essentially what you're supposed to take away here from David is that the world ended, he went through what he went through, and he said to himself, I I can use religion and basically get a little cult going where yeah. I'll be the leader and people will do whatever I tell them based on me wielding that power. Um, he says that he's telling Ellie all of this because she can handle it in a way that the others can't. And he's essentially saying like, I recognize in you what I have in me and that we together can base run this whole shit, build our own world, multiply, spread out, which is where you should have picked up on the pedo vibes right, a little right. bit more. And uh, yeah, he says that he will... Oh, also on top of that, he's like, I will let your friend Joel go, right, if you'll agree to this, basically. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm a shepherd surrounded by sheep, and all I want is an equal, a friend. And he tells her they can lead this group together. He says, imagine the life we could build... And he, like, has his hand on the bar, and she comes over and, like, puts one hand on, mm-hmm. on his or whatever. And then, like, when she went for the other one, I was, like, when her other hand started coming up, I was like, come on, get this fucker. <laughs> come on. And she snaps one of his fingers. Yeah. Um, she goes for his keys, but she doesn't get to him before he, like, delivers a blow that knocks her on her ass. He calls her the C-word, Barrett, which I will not utter here. And then he says, let's see what I go tell the others now. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, I think he, he's kind of like, uh, it's you know, who knows whether he's done this another, like previously or not. I mean, he has the cage. But it feels like a thing where he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss, toss out this Hail Mary. Yeah. Right? Because that's what I'd really like is to, you know get off on my pedo vibes and court this 14 year old and make her my wife and yeah. have the equal and the partnership and all that. Uh, so let me give it my best shot. And then if not, we can eat her. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a win-win for him in, in, in his mind because sure. he's going to, he's going to give her this pitch. You're going to try to sell her on it. And if not, well, you know, there's another week of rations. Yeah. She, uh, as he's on his, he's on his way out the door and she says, Ellie, he turns around like what? And she's like, Tell him, tell them that Ellie is the little girl who broke your fucking finger. And this was almost like I forget the name of the chick in Ozark when she has that moment where she snaps and she's like, "And if you want me, you're gonna have to fucking kill me." It gets <laughs> memed all the time now. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was almost like that level of intensity for me. And David turns around and says, "How do you put it? How did you put it? Hmm, tiny little pieces." And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. So next we see Joel stumbling through the snow, trying to make his way to Ellie. Obviously, all of us watching are, like, hoping that he'll bust in and, like, off all these people and save her life. And he finds a shed where they're storing stuff. We already talked about it. He walks over. Oh, first, my only question about this scene. He sees this little red gremlin-looking toy guy. And I think that signified that it was Ellie's pack that he had 
found there? Like, okay, this is where she is. Okay. Because the first time through, I was like, wait, what was that? What yep. the fuck? I rewound to see what he looked at, and I could see it's like a little keychain or yeah. a bag, like a little it's like a little red tag. devil guy. Yeah, like, yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that meant that it was Ellie's. Although I do not remember seeing that at any point in the season. Maybe it's something I glossed over. Could but be, yeah, could be an Easter egg for for the game as well. Yeah, like very for, good for point. The, game, the gamers. And now I feel like it is. It could, now that you've said it, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they definitely draw attention to it. They show him, look at it. He like yes. recognizes something about it and and, and continues to, to move through. So yeah. yeah, in the back, he finds their horse, which is like the dead giveaway that this is where she is, right? But then there's several bodies hanging upside down. Um, back inside in the cage room, David and James come in. They attack Ellie. They're preparing to chop her up. And just as they're about to start, Ellie yells out, I'm infected! And it was kind of a silly moment at first where I was like, why would anybody buy that? Right, Even, right. What, come on. But it gets her, like, buys her just enough time with that distraction to grab the cleaver that David was wielding and slam it into James's neck. Uh, cleaver. Another shout out to Christopher Moltisanti. James is a goner, though. That dude's right. Nick the jugular, Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah. She got him. Yeah. Can't she got be too him right. careful with that. So David takes the cleaver. He goes after Ellie. Um, she throws like a flaming log at him, and at first I was like, "Great shot, dumbass! What <laughs> the like, hell did you I waste?" You were gonna stab him with that. I was like, "What a terrible yes. waste of a, a flaming log!" Yeah, but I think it was intentional. She was setting the building on fire, uh, or maybe it wasn't. Either way, it doesn't matter. The building is on fucking fire. When I get to this uh, scene in the game, I'm gonna know now. Yeah. Once you have the flaming log, you're not supposed to try to fight with it. Just throw it. Set the building on fire. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I bet that's a. I bet that's a game thing. Hey, but that's a secret. David walks around um, while the building is like literally going up in flames. He's saying all kinds of creepy shit. Like, I've decided you do need a father, so I'm gonna keep you and I'm gonna teach you. And Ellie pops again. The whole time you're watching, you're like, Is Joel gonna bust in? Is Joel gonna save her? Like that's right. the yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. really they've got, you, they've got you queued up for that. The for tense sure. thing that we're all anticipating. But Ellie pops out, stabs David, he knocks her to the ground, jumps on top of her. He's a big grown man. He's obviously overpowering her physically, holding her down. She's screaming and fighting, and he says, I thought you already knew the fighting is the part I like the most. Don't be afraid. There's no fear in love, which is the most like cult leader pedophile shit I've ever heard. And as he reaches down, presumably to undo his pants, like I think he was about to R-word her in the middle of this flaming Definitely. building. Yeah, absolutely. And then Ellie finally gets her hands on the cleaver and absolutely murders the living shit out of this dude. And yeah. it was one of those scenes like when we watch Rhaenyra in House of the Dragon kill that hog and she doesn't stop stabbing. You're like, okay, the hog is dead. Mm -hmm. The hog is dead. You can stop. Same thing with this, except... You're, it's so queued up for you to root for her to murder him that for the first, I don't know, five, depending person to person, you're kind of rooting. You're like, all yeah, right, yeah, yeah, fuck this, fuck this guy, kill this guy. Yeah. And then we all have different breaking points where you're like, all right, you can stop now. You know what I mean? Right. Like there was probably only one or two left when I hit mine where uh -huh. I was like, okay, that's, that's, en that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. But uh, this is this just a big moment of of release for Ellie and... It's that violent heart that David was speaking to um, that we see unleashed here. And she stumbles out. I mean, first, we can get to the, the whole scene in a second. She stumbles outside. Joel finds her. She's so freaked out, traumatized, shook, that she, like, tries to fight him off for a second. And he's like, it's me. It's me. It's okay. It's okay. 
it's okay, baby girl. I got you. I got you. And then they stumble off together, and the screen fades to black, and we all sit there like, where's the Prozac? <laughs> um, but uh, the the last 15 minutes of this thing, I was like, oh, wow, Bella, Bella Ramsey might get an Emmy nomination. It's uh, like she might legitimately be uh, nominated. Uh, 100%, she will be. Yeah. She has built her performance week by week of Ellie to where what I talked about at the beginning of the podcast is it could not be more true. Like she gave the character room to grow. She gave us as an audience room to fall more in love with her week by week and understand her more week by week. And these last couple weeks, both seeing what she went through losing Riley and at Fedra school and this week with the experience of Pastor David the pedo, it just it. it it brought it all home for me, where I was like, "Now, by the end of season one, I'm completely bought in with Ellie yeah, and Joel and, and that relationship." I thought I thought the same exact thing uh, when at, a few minutes after the episode wrapped, I, I was one of the thoughts that entered my mind too. I was like, "She might win an award for this. Like, this is this. That's how just how much she is she's putting into this performance and how much better it's getting every week. So now it's to the point where she's. I mean, she's the star of the show for sure." She's 19 years old, and that's the thing you have to remember about this. Even if, I mean, she's playing a 14-year-old. Even if she's not 14, she's 19, she's an adult. That's still very, very young to be chewing on something this heavy and doing it at the level that she is. It's insanely impressive. Um, You can see why she was cast. Yep. And I think they've done such a good job, like I said, giving her room to grow week to week, but... Uh, last night I realized something else. Like Joel is kind of like a stepdad icon, <laughs> right? Like as a stepdad of a little girl, that final scene like ripped my soul out and chewed it up and spit it out and handed it back to me. I didn't cry um, like I did with, with Bill and Frank, but I had hardcore anxiety, like yeah. really unpleasant anxiety for roughly an hour before <laughs> I was able to go to sleep. Like it was like to the point where I was like, damn, do I need to like save this and just watch it in the morning? Is nighttime too heavy for this show? Um, but I, it sucked. And and I think parenting is ruining my ability to take in horribly traumatizing content without being emotionally impacted, which is something you brought up, I think, on Patreon a few weeks ago um, that is now happening to me. And it sucks. I, I miss the days where I could just watch the most fucked up things in the history of entertainment and walk away unscathed. Yeah. But now I'm sitting here like emotionally affected by the end of every episode of The Last of Us. Did, did you cleanse your palate with the uh, recommendation from our friend uh, Hyena? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Yeah, I, I said on our group text, I was like, I need a chaser after that one. And one of our sick friends sent me something called hyena that looked like it was the opposite of a chaser. I'm pretty sure he was trolling. But yeah, this would look, um, like we said at the top, one of the best episodes of the season and could have been its own you know, story in and of itself, an individual one-off movie or whatever. Phenomenal performances all around. I think what Pedro Pascal has been able to accomplish even in these last two episodes without saying a hell, yeah, whole hell of yeah, a lot no, yeah. has been very, very cool. Uh, the scene with him yeah, killing you, those two guys, interrogating them was wild. Yeah, you you know, I think like grand scheme of things, like I, I do, there are moments when I want a little bit more from Joel. Like I wish he got more of those moments like he does, you know, the, there in Jackson kind of spilling it all out to Tommy, right? And like really going a little bit deeper. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, like the, this role of Joel, he is... He is the tough exterior shell. You know, he is the protector. He is this guy that's, that's you know, 
that that has this this newly found duty to protect this surrogate daughter, right? And so, like, I, you know, I think it's it's purposeful that we don't get a ton of that. Um, and I mean that when he does go like full commando and just like into that full protector mode, he's so good at it, and it's hitting all of the all of the kind of the sick pleasure buttons, right? Like like we talked oh, about yeah. with the with the torture scene where he he's just he's he's really good at it and it's kind of fun to watch. He's a total are, badass. And you're rooting for him, you know, it's it's Liam Neeson taking shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, I I mean just a like I thought the pacing of this episode was really good as well. Like it, it you know, it it kept, keeps you on the edge of your seat even though it's not a hun- action 100% of the way through. Um, we've got the little, the, the, the B story of the, of the mystery of the cannibalism running throughout, which they drop clues throughout and then, and then give it to you with the ear on the floor there. And you're, you, it just like, it does the thing where it kind of turns your mind where you're like, you know, things are dark and bad and this guy's sick and, and this cult is, is no good. And these people are in a lot of danger. And then it's just like that. And you kind of like realize the depth of what's happening and it just like kind of like drops that pit in your stomach and you're like oh yeah it's even worse than i was than than i had realized and so yeah. just like just through and through super well done episode scary thrilling exciting um amazing performances the pastor pastor david performance was really a good one as well that guy's great at at, at playing this type of role scott shepherd scott shepherd um I feel like he's always kind of like a sniveling bad guy. He he was okay. So the thing I recognized him from that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I just looked it up. He was in the El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Mm. I think he's one of the bad guys. That, yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. That he ends up having to take on there. Uh, but yeah, I thought he crushed this. It's like it's one of those things where you can't go too far one way or the other. You have to keep the audience sort of like, is he good or bad or what? It seems yeah. bad, but like what you also keep saying and doing things that you kind of like le- led to believe maybe he's not all that evil. Yep. Um, and in the end, he totally fucking snaps, and you see everything that he is underneath, and it's horrifying, and it's just so scary for for Ellie. But no, nah, this was this was great stuff. Um, a perfect penultimate episode. I I don't understand how where this story ends after one season. I know, I know, and it, and and you know they talk about this a lot in the the after the episode segments about kind of like watching this this path that Ellie is on and and is it reversible? Can you come back to like being yourself or or yeah. when you have a break like this when you snap when you give into the the violence of it all? Like, is there no recovering from that? And so I'm very I'm I'm super curious as to like where this story continues to go because it sounds like that's something that will continue to be explored and um may not pan out in the best way the moral ambiguity of it all right is what makes it so good right and and you see in this little girl have to do these horrifying things to stay alive and then seeing what that does to her this is the most shell-shocked we've seen ellie by far walking away from this one and uh, and and like we've said week after week, if you're not watching the inside the episode stuff after the episode when they get into the the creators room and interview Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann, um, Troy Baker and and the casting crew, Bella Ramsey, Pedro Pascal, they give some good insights into kind of what you're supposed to be looking out for. And that's like Barrett said, one of the ones I've touched on repeatedly is like what how, how is this impacting Ellie? Can you come back from it? 
Is she broken? Will she end up just like Joel, right. where, yep. you know, yep. like he's basically the strong, silent type, whatever happened to Gary Cooper, shout out Tony <laughs> Soprano. And uh, and also to your point, it's like, it's so strange that I, it keeps reminding me of The Mandalorian, right. because yeah. Yeah. in There's The Mandalorian, lot, yeah. he is this like hardened, strong, silent type character where he doesn't have to do all that much a lot of the time, and then he'll have these scenes where he really turns it on, and you're like, holy shit, that was magical. And it makes those scenes that much better yeah. when he's sort of reserved the rest of the time. And that's the same formula that they've used here with Joel. Yeah. Um, and it's really effective. But yeah. One one of the, the the last thing I'll say, just kind of on the to add on to the themes, like I keep keep watching episodes of the show and I'm like, man, we've said this word before too on the pod, but like, you know, it's got this nihilism about it where like people are bad, like society has crumbled and there's no and there is no good left. It is everybody's a raider if you're not with those people they're a raider like and and yet there are these little so it feels like it's super super negative and yet there are these little kernels of hope that they just drop in whether it is something kind of like that's that's a full production like the bill and frank episode or whether it's just the way that joel and ellie embrace at the end of this episode and there is some there's love there there's hope there there's something worth fighting for and yet like everything surrounding it is just super super like end of times and dark and not not good another episode here with no infected which uh, yes which I, which is just really well played on by them that it's just like this it's basically at this point and and I you know I'm sure we'll get more infected as as we continue on here but the infected the cordyceps it's what brought the world down but it's not what is still infecting the world yeah, in like you said earlier in the season, it's the we had an episode with no infected where you pointed out like, look, even if it's not about the outbreak, if you, considering the circumstances, what you deal with in this place is still the worst thing is still the humans, yeah. right? And nothing really hammered that home more than this episode for me, where it's just like, fuck, dude, there wasn't even a single damn stalker, runner, clicker, <laughs> bloater, and we still ended up with what I call the nightmare ride when it was all said and done. More so than any other episode, and it was it was fucked up, but very good stuff, very powerful stuff. Really excited to see how they close this out with episode nine next week. But before then, Barrett and I will be back on Patreon.com/slash/OystersClamsCockles this Thursday to further digest and discuss episode eight of The Last of Us, driven by hotline calls from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles today to support the show. Join, pick a tier, and be a part of that uh, ad-free exclusive experience on Thursday. Go to bowlandmedia.com slash shop to get yourself some merch. Follow us on social media at Barrett Dudley on Twitter and Instagram, at WRBowlin on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is on TikTok at oysters, clams, and cockles if you'd like to see clips as well as Instagram, at Oysters, Clams, Cockles, and Twitter, at Clams and Cockles. Video of today's episode is produced by Kate Orris. OCC, as always, is presented by Bolin Media. Please support our sponsors. This week, we've got Cured Nutrition. One more again, curednutrition.com slash dragon to get 20% off at checkout. We'll be back Thursday on Patreon next week on Monday to digest the finale of season one of the last of us with you until next time clam fam if you're lost in the darkness look for the light